Section 30 of The Science, History of the Universe, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science, History of the Universe, Volume 3. Edited by Francis Ralt Wheeler. Electricity, Chapter 10. The Electromagnetic Telegraph, Part 2. As the popularity of the telegraph increased and the number of line wires grew large, attempts were made to make one line wire transmit more than one message at the same time. Various schemes have been tried, most of which have failed by reason of the complications of the apparatus and the subsequent troubles attending them. The step in the direction of utilizing the line wire more fully was the invention of the duplex system by Dr. Wilhelm Gintel in 1853. This system was improved by Carl Frischkin of Hanover until it lacked only one essential element, means to overcome the condenser-like action of the long line wire. It was not until 1872 that this was supplied by Joseph B. Stearns of Boston, who introduced a condenser into the artificial line of the duplex system, and by adjusting it, made the artificial line behave like the line wire itself. This important addition made the system entirely successful, so that it became possible to transmit two messages in opposite directions at the same time. Following the success of the duplex system, there was developed a method by which two messages could be sent simultaneously in the same direction, and it was but a step to combine these two systems so that two messages could be sent each way simultaneously. This last is known as the quadruplex system and was immediately successful because there were no delicate adjustments to be made and no rotating parts as in some of the synchronous telegraphs which have been tried from time to time. As early as 1852, Moses G. Farmer of Salem, Massachusetts, devised a synchronous multiple telegraph in which he proposed to employ two rotating switches, one at each end of the line, to successively and simultaneously join the several operators at one station with those of another. The idea was to connect two operators for an instant, pass on to the next two, and so on, returning to the first two operators so quickly that the relay of the receiving operator would not have had time to change, nor the key of the sender to make a dot. The impulses of the current had therefore to be made with great frequency, and the control of this impulsive current was the principal cause of failure. Another difficulty was the maintenance of the rotating switches in synchronism. The public is occasionally startled with an announcement that someone has invented a telegraph by which a wire may be utilized for 20 or perhaps 40 transmissions, but usually it is the old wanderer in a new garb. Speed by this method, however, is limited far within the bounds of these statements. It might seem that it would be only necessary to multiply the number of contacts and to increase the velocity of the rotating arms, but the limit in this direction is soon reached, for only a certain number of impulses can be transmitted over a line within a certain period, with force sufficient to produce signals. Many valuable improvements have been made in recent years in this class of telegraphy, but large as the art has grown, the great object of all has been to obtain more perfect synchronism, that is to say, to cause two mechanically independent arms to rotate at the same speed. 
One of the most recent of these synchronous telegraphs, and which is now being exploited, is that invented by Mr. Delaney. The principle is that of Farmer, but the method used to hold the rotating switches in synchronism is extremely ingenious. It is stated that 1,000 words per minute may be transmitted over a single wire. The messages are prepared on a tape by a punching machine and received on a chemically prepared strip of paper. The idea of printing the dispatch is not new. In the early days of the Electric Telegraph, 1841, Wheatstone took out a patent for printing the message in ordinary letters upon a strip of paper. Since then, many inventors have followed out the same idea, with more or less success. The most perfect of all these systems, however, is that invented by Professor David E. Hughes, which, in a modified form, is now very generally used as a news or stock ticker. Figure 45 shows the connections for such a telegraph. The sending station is at A, and one of the receiving stations is at B. The line is fed with an alternating current produced by reversing commutator 4. This alternating current does not affect printing relay 5, but does operate polar relay 6, which in turn operates the escapement. Reverser 4 is driven by constant speed motor 1 and has as many segments as there are characters on the type wheel. The escape wheel 10 is provided with an equal number of teeth, so that each revolution of reverser 4 will produce one revolution of type wheel 7. On the shaft with the reverser is rigidly mounted a cylinder, provided with a number of pins, arranged spirally as shown. Each pin is in line with a segment of the reverser, and also in line with a pin fastened to the keyboard. Depressing a given key will always stop the cylinder, and therefore type wheel 7 in the same place. The connection to the motor 1 is made with friction clutch 2, which slips when cylinder 3 is stopped. Now it is evident, if type wheel 7 is started with its characters in certain position, and is rotated by a motor through gear 11, and controlled by escapement magnet 6, that it will always remain in the same relative position with cylinder 3, and that the operator can stop the type wheel in any desired position. If the type wheel stops because of the arrest of the cylinder 3 by depression of a key, the current ceases to alternate, and magnet 5 has time to draw up its armature, 8, and press the tape against the type wheel, thus printing the character which corresponds to key depressed at the sending station. These are ingenious arrangements for reproducing at a distant point handwriting, drawings, etc. One of the first of these is known as Caselli's pentelegraph because the reproduction may be of the same size or even larger than the original. The message to be sent is written with an insulating ink on a piece of tinfoil and received on a sheet of chemically prepared paper upon which a blue dot is left at each current impulse. The motions of the marking style at the two stations are controlled by similar pendulums. In the Denison system, these pendulums are forced to vibrate together through the control of electromagnets operated by the same alternating current. The most recent and useful of these arrangements is the telautograph. The message is reproduced as fast as it is written. Drawings or sketches are transmitted with great accuracy. In fact, Every motion of the sending pen is instantly followed by the receiver. Some of these are in use in the United States Army. 
The insulation of conductors for use under water was made possible by the discovery of gutta percha by an English surgeon in India in 1842. It is extremely probable that the widespread use of submarine cables would have been postponed many years had this substance remained unknown. One of the first cables insulated by this material, and possibly the very first, was laid in 1848 across the Hudson River, from Jersey City to New York. In 1850, a cable was laid across the channel, from Dover to Calais, but it was unprotected by any sheathing or armor, and it lasted but a single day. In the following year, the experiment was repeated, this time with a cable protected by a number of heavy iron wires, the operation was successful and permanent telegraph communication was established. During the next few years, the number of submarine cables increased rapidly, as did also their length, although on account of ignorance in regard to many conditions necessary to ensure the best success, failures were numerous. Many people began to consider the feasibility of a line connecting the continents across the Atlantic Ocean. A few sanguine capitalists combined to further the enterprise, and through the undaunted courage and faith of an American, Mr. Cyrus W. Field, the purely financial obstacles were surmounted. Unfortunately, the electrical and engineering problems to be met with were not understood, and the first cable of 1858, after gasping for breath for a few short weeks, lay dumb forever at the bottom of the sea. Something of the character of this cable may be learned from the following brief description by Sir William Thompson, to whom, more than to any other one man, the world is indebted for the success of submarine telegraphy. In the year 1857, as much iron as would make a cube 20 feet wide was drawn into wire long enough to extend from the earth to the moon and bind several times around each globe. This wire was made into 126 lengths of 2,500 miles and spun into 18 strands of seven wires each. A single strand of seven copper wires of the same length, weighing in all 110 grains per foot, was three times coated with gutta percha to an entire outer thickness of 0.4 of an inch. And this was served outside with 240 tons of tarred yarn and then laid over with the 18 strands of iron wire in long, continuous spirals, and passed through a bath of melted pitch. An attempt to lay this cable in 1857 resulted in the loss of 400 or 500 miles by breaking from the stern of the ship from which it was run. After some further experimentation, it was determined to employ two ships to lay it in the following year, and accordingly, on the 29th of July, 1858, the Niagara and the Agamemnon, each loaded with half the cable, met in mid-ocean, joined the ends, and started the Niagara for the west and the Agamemnon for the east. On the 5th of August, the ends were successfully landed on the opposite shores of the Atlantic. The cable was known to be in bad condition before the laying was completed, and the earnest but ill-advised efforts which were made to force it to work during its brief period of activity only tended to shorten its life. Communication of a very irregular and unsatisfactory character was maintained for several weeks. The admirable mirror galvanometer, which had just been devised by Sir William Thompson, was for the first time in use at the Valencia end, 
while for a time the attempt was made to use the ordinary receiving apparatus which had been provided by the company at newfoundland later the galvanometer was put in use on this side but not before very powerful currents had been used on the cable in fact sir william thompson has declared his belief that if proper methods of handling the cable electrically had been in use from the beginning its performance would have been lasting and in the main satisfactory owing to the fragmentary character of many of the messages transmitted a single sentence from that of the queen to the president having been received on august sixteenth and the remainder twenty-four hours later many persons in both europe and america became skeptical as to the transmission of signals and not a few even doubted that the cable had been laid as a matter of fact four hundred messages containing over four thousand words were sent on september first interchange of messages ceased but on october twentieth the cable spoke its last words two hundred and forty which were read at valencia being part of a message giving the number of battery cells then on the line from that date the splendid combination of matter lay at the bottom of the sea forever useless but it had not lived in vain the possibility of the thing was demonstrated and it only remained to surmount the obstacles which this trial had shown during a few years succeeding this first attempt the problem was studied in the light of the experience which it had afforded another trial was made in eighteen sixty five this time by the great eastern a vessel which offered many advantages for cable laying after about two-thirds of the distance was run the cable broke and further operations were postponed until the following year when a complete cable was successfully laid and that of eighteen sixty five picked up spliced and finished since then other lines have been placed across the atlantic and now the operations of laying an ocean cable attracts no attention one of the difficulties encountered in attempting to send messages through such a long cable was that due to the electrostatic capacity of the cable the cable acts like a very large condenser so that when the voltage is applied at one end the current does not instantly rise to its steady value but takes several seconds and when the supply of voltage is disconnected the current continues to flow in order to signal rapidly therefore it was necessary to overcome this action and to use very delicate receiving instruments for this purpose sir william thompson lord kelvin devised the well-known siphon recorder which is really a sensitive galvanometer whose moving coil carries a siphon tube filled with ink the ink being ejected from it in fine drops on a strip of paper to produce these fine drops the siphon tube is connected to a small electrostatic machine so that the tube is electrified although the telephone has made such rapid advances as a means of communication the telegraph still holds its own field the greater simplicity of the latter the less expensive lines the greater distances to which messages can be transmitted all combined for its preservation the flattening out of the waves on a telephone line due to the condenser-like action of the line has not yet been overcome the difference between the telephonic waves at the beginning and end of a line may be compared to that between the noisy exhaust of an automobile motor without and with a muffler in the case of the transmission of telephone waves it is therefore a problem of how to rid the line of its muffler End of section 30.